you have your Bibles, please open to Philippians chapter 1. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 26, um, the scripture verse where we actually have taken the theme for our entire sermon series, to live as Christ. This is probably the most famous line in the book of Philippians in verse 21, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Um, but I want to begin with, uh, with a little story, a list, a list an illustration I think that we can all connect with. For those of us who are Tennessee Titans fans, do we have any Titans fans in the room? None. It's fine. Whereas I won't root for the volunteers, I will root for the Tennessee Titans, okay? So for those of us that are Titans fans, I believe we have one of the best running backs in all of the NFL. His name is Derrick Henry, and for all accounts and purposes, he is unstoppable. If you watch him, every time he gets the ball, he punishes the defense. He is unstoppable. Defenders know that no matter how hard they hit him, he will keep going. He just shucks them off and keeps moving forward. If they get him to the ground, he'll get up, go to the huddle, they'll snap the ball and give it to him again. Rinse, uh, lather, rinse, repeat throughout the whole game. And the more they give him the ball, the more it punishes the defense. And the more he becomes even more un devastating as the game goes on. Now, I think the same thing about the Apostle Paul. When I look at the Apostle Paul, he is unstoppable. Ever since he met the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus, he has not stopped proclaiming Jesus. He has a singular vision, a singular focus, a singular aim in his life that Jesus Christ be glorified whether he lives or whether he dies. Now, it's, it's amazing. If you read through Acts and you read through um, Paul's on accounts, he would go to one town, he would preach Jesus, they would throw him out, run him out of town, he would just go to the next town and keep preaching Jesus. And in the next town, in one occasion, they, he preaches Jesus, they stone him, throw him out of the city, he gets up and walks back in. He's going to preach Jesus. So no matter what, he is going to do what God has called him to do. Arrests wouldn't stop him. Murder plots wouldn't stop him. Shipwrecks wouldn't stop him. Beatings wouldn't stop him. All of the Jews couldn't stop him. They had to get imperial Rome involved to put Paul in prison. And yet even in prison, he is writing letters like we read today showing that though you can lock him up, the gospel will go to the ends of the earth because Jesus has said so. Now here's the difference between Derrick Henry and Paul. Derrick Henry has all of the physical gifts to be unstoppable on a football field. He's 6'4", 240 pounds, and runs a 4'5'4'40". If you don't know what that is, it's fast. Okay? He also has mastered what it means to be a running back. He knows what he's doing. Now, Paul's toughness doesn't come from his physical abilities. In fact, he was very weak in his personage. Very weak. If you've seen caricatures of him, he was probably short, stumpy, slouched over, couldn't see, and probably couldn't speak very well because everybody made fun of him and said, when you speak, your, your letters are very weighty, but you're very weak in person. It wasn't Paul's physical abilities that, that's what made him unstoppable. No, what, it, what made him unstoppable was that he was... It wasn't that he had mastered something. It was that Paul was mastered by Jesus. That's the difference. Derrick Henry has mastered being a running back. Paul was mastered by Jesus. 
And I just want to say for all of us in the room, to make a huge difference in this world, you don't have to master a lot of things. To make a difference in this world, you just need to be mastered by Jesus. And if you are mastered by Jesus, then everything else in your life will be put in perspective. And that's what we see in, in Philippians chapter 1. So turn there and look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, what Paul says. He says there beginning in verse 1, verse 21. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to break this into three, three basic sections, and I want to try to apply it to our lives today. I want you to notice that first, the first point this morning is Christ. I want you to see Christ as the all-encompassing center of our lives. Christ as the all-encompassing means covering everything, the all-encompassing center of our lives. Notice what Paul says there, for to me to live is Christ. Now Paul here, as we look through these first few verses, he's running through his mind the possible outcomes that await him while he's in prison awaiting his trial before Caesar. Paul is running through what might happen. He knows he could be released or be acquitted because Rome really doesn't have a case against him. He hasn't really broken any Roman laws, which is why he appealed to Caesar. But he knows at the same time, there is a possibility that Rome, because they're not known to be the most equitable or most just society to ever live on the earth, that Caesar might just get tired of him and kill him. After all, that's what's going to happen to all the Christians in Rome in the coming days ahead anyway. And so Paul knows that he could be put to death. He's rolling these things through his mind. And what's amazing for us is in the scripture, we get to see how Paul reasons through what's in front of him. He's in a hard spot. He's in prison. He's awaiting, um, he's awaiting his trial. And he's saying, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but here's how I'm reasoning through this. And notice that all of his reasoning is not focused on the, what he's going to argue in front of the court or what he's going to present or how his case is going to roll out. He's seeing everything through the lens that no matter what happens, this is for Jesus. No matter what happens, this is for Jesus. Now, what Paul says here um, is interesting that Paul reverses what we think he might say. You know, he might have said, we could imagine him saying here, to, get, uh, to live is gain, and to die is Christ. He could have said it that way. To live is gain and to die is Christ. There is, um, there's more to gain by living and if I die, I get Jesus. And that would be somewhat true if Paul would have said that. But he chooses not to say it that way. He purposefully chooses to say to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now saying it that way is more precise and more astounding to our hearts and minds and Paul says it this way because it's a summary of what he just said back in verses 20 and 21. Look back at what he says in 20 and 21. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope 
that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. And then he gives the summary. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, Paul's only aim, hear me, Paul's only aim and desire is that Christ be honored in his body, whether he lives or whether he dies. For Paul and for us, hear me, this is what it means for us. For Paul and for us, this means that all of our life, all of our life, every facet, every season is meant to be lived through Christ and for Christ. Think about your own life right now. All of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our desires, all of our longings, all of our expectations, all of our identity, what makes us who we are, all of our purpose, all of our meaning, everything that brings meaning to our lives, everything that brings significance and aim and purpose to us, is all bound up in Jesus. That's what it means. To live is Christ. This means Christ is our life. He is our life. He's not simply an accessory to our lives like this watch here. You know, I take this off and put it on every night. It's just a watch. Whether I have it or whether I don't have it, it doesn't mean much really in my life. This is not Jesus this is not how we respond to Jesus. We put him on on Sunday mornings, and then the rest of our lives, he's optional, like an accessory, like a necklace, or like a wrist, or like a bracelet, or, or like my watch, or like earrings. Jesus is not an accessory. No, Jesus is our very life. I'll remind you what he said. What does Jesus say in John 14, 6? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am that for you. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus claims that I am the very, I am the substance of your life. Or in Colossians 3, 4, Paul says, when Christ who is your life appears, you will be like him in glory. Christ who is your life. Jesus is our life. Or 1 John 5, 11, where it says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He, whoever has the Son, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's it. Jesus is everything to us. Or as Paul most famously said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So who's living this life through me? It is Jesus I just want to ask you, can you say here what Paul says? Can you say that Jesus is the all-encompassing center of your life? Does Jesus affect every thought? Does he affect every motive, every desire, every joy, every hurt, every sorrow, every relationship, every decision? If not, I have to ask you, why not? Is there anyone more important? Is there anyone more significant? We, you need to be able to answer that question. All of our lives are to be lived through Christ and for Christ. So that we can say, for to me to live is Christ. You have to be able to say that as a Christian, a Christ follower. 
Second truth this morning. Not only Christ as the all-encompassing center of our lives, I want you to see Christ as our all-satisfying hope. Christ is our all-satisfying hope. Look what he says there. He says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then he says this. Um, sorry, i got to get in the right spot here. And he says, uh, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet I, I wish I shall choose. I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, Paul here again, he says, I'm hard-pressed between these two choices. He's like, he's like he's hemmed in on two rocky ledges and being pinched between them, and Paul can't turn to the right or to the left. He says, I don't know which way I need to go here. And Paul is saying this because he ultimately knows that dying is gain. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm hard-pressed. I'm hard-pressed to live for Christ here or to go be with Christ because dying is gain. The reason that Paul can say that is because Christ has removed the fear of sting and death. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has conquered death through the resurrection. There's no reason for us to fear it as believers. And so Paul knows that death has now been swallowed up in victory and now it only serves for God's glorious purposes. Death is no longer to be feared. It is to be seen in light of Christ. Now, hear me. Paul gives us three... Paul describes our hope here in three ways, basically. Notice what he says about the nature of death. This is a good place to take notes. Notice what he says about the nature of death. He says, it's merely a departure. He says, I desire to depart. Now, Paul speaks of dying as though he's about to board a ship, as though he's about to catch a train, even though trains didn't exist, as though he's about to board an airplane. What do we call it when we go to the airplane? Where, when, your departure. It's the exact same word. It was, what ship, it was what people on ships used to take the ferry from one side of the sea to the other. Paul says I'm mere, that death is merely a vessel that carries me to God's appointed destination. That's the nature of death for the believer. It is simply a departure. Now, Paul uses the same language in 2 Timothy 4 when he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul is about to die. He writes Timothy a letter, and he says, I'm just being poured out like a drink offering, and I'm about to catch my plane out of here. It's simply a departure. But notice, secondly, that Paul says, notice what Paul says about our confidence in death. He says, I desire to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better. Focus in on far better there. That's an emphatic superlative in the Greek. I know you care about that. I know you care. What it means is, is it means this is by far the best. I'll translate it into southern vernacular. Y'all don't get no better than this. That's what it means. That's what he says there, that to depart to be with Christ is far better. If you remember what Paul says in Romans 8 when he uses the same language, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul says no matter what happens here, it has nothing. It's not to be compared with what's going to happen. It is far better to go. Now, I want to say here, let me, let, me, let me be very clear here. Tune in just for a second. Paul isn't playing some game of emotional escapism. Because sometimes we play that game. Sometimes we play the game of emotional escapism, right? Paul is not weighing death 
as though it's better than suffering or pain, right? Paul is about to be beheaded. Most people, even those who aren't Christians, will agree that death has to be better than some suffering and pain or some serious disease like cancer. Even non-Christians will call and want death to come for them so they can escape present suffering. And I'll say that this is part of the motive behind those who tragically even take their own lives is they believe that death must be better than whatever they're going through here. That is not what Paul is saying. Listen closely. Paul is arguing that for the believer, death is better all of the time and under all circumstances for those that are in Christ Jesus. Yet, at the same time, it doesn't mean Paul had a death wish as the rest of the text here proves. So what Paul knows and what we need to know, and this is why we can have confidence in death, what Paul wants us to know is that life here is filled with a multitude of uncertainties. Am I right? Life is filled with a multitude of uncertainties and risks. I just want to say, you don't know what's going to happen next. Afghanistan, COVID, cancer, Hurricane Ida, um, uncontrollable, unpredictable weather, car crashes, miscarriages, marriages that fail. This life this life, the very thing that we cling to so tightly, is the very thing that has no certainties attached to it. Hear me. For the Christian, it's actually death that ushers us into our eternal assurance and hope. We will be with Christ assuredly forever. No more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow. All of the uncertainties are gone, which is why Paul can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. But there's a third thing, which is the most important of all, about our hope, our all-satisfying hope, and that's the inc inc incomparable fulfillment of our hope. Look what he says. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Circle that in your Bibles, underline it, highlight it. This is Paul's hope. I desire to depart to be with Christ. Now hear me, this is our gospel hope. This is what the gospel is all about, bringing hope to the hopeless, that your sins can be forgiven, you can be reconciled to God, you can be put in a right relationship with Jesus, and your eternal destiny is secure forever, and you will have Christ. He will give you eternal life. And here's why this happens. This is why it's a gospel hope. We will be united with Christ because we've been united to Him by faith. That is what has happened. We have been crucified with Christ. We have been buried with Christ in baptism. We've been raised with Christ in newness of life. And according to Paul, if we suffer with Christ, we will also be glorified with Christ. Now hear me. Hear me. That day is fast approaching for all of us, some of us more than others, that day when we will close our eyes in death in this life and we will open them to see our hope, Jesus. That is what Paul says. That is his, that is the, that is his absolute hope. When we close our eyes here in death, we will open them to see our Lord Jesus and our faith shall be sight, we shall see him face to face, and when we see him, we shall be like him, and in that moment, that will be an incomparable sight 
to behold, to see the incomparable beauty and glory of Jesus forever. That is our hope. Now listen, if this isn't your hope, if Christ isn't the all-satisfying hope of your lives, then you've missed the whole point of being a Christian. You've missed the whole point. You don't actually understand what it means to come into a relationship with Jesus. Christianity is not about moral reform. It's not about making you better boys and girls. That's not the point. Amen? If your hope is to become morally reformed, you're going to go to hell. I can't say it any clearer than that. Jesus is our hope. Now listen, it's not about moral reform. It's not about getting out of jail free. It's not about a family reunion type of hope. Our great hope is to have Jesus. And He is enough. He is enough to satisfy every longing and desire for eternity. Listen, I'm ready to see my grandparents. I'm ready to see my family. But if I never saw them and all I saw was Jesus, I'd be fine. And you would be too. Show me Jesus. Now listen, this is the kind of hope, hear me, this is the kind of hope that makes Christians bold and courageous. This is what drives them to risk their lives in foreign lands to make Jesus known. This is what causes them to give their lives for the great cause of Jesus, their hope. This is what makes Christians boldly look at the executioner, like this is what will happen in Afghanistan, it's already happening, and they will look at the executioner and say, swing away, you can only send me to my reward. Listen, as a Christian, you need to settle this in your heart. What is the worst thing that can happen to you? You die, and you go be with Jesus. Christian, what's the best thing that can happen to you? It happens to be the same answer. You die, and you go be with Jesus forever. That is our hope. Listen, do you notice that this is written as an equation? You can write this in your notes. It's written as a math equation. To live equals Christ. To die equals gain. If you replace either of those blanks with anything else, the equation makes no sense. To live, for me personally, to live is basketball. Dying isn't gain. To live is soccer. Dying is not gain. But to live for Jesus, dying is gain. Because you will ultimately get the reward of your faith. Living for anything else, you will have it taken from you and you will be shown how short-sighted your hope actually was. It's written as an equation. And don't you notice finally, I know I've preached a long time already. Don't you notice, so Christ is the all satisfy, or it's our all-satisfying hope. And then finally, look at Christ joyously glorified in others. Look at verses 24 through 26. It's crazy here how Paul shifts in what he says. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm living for Jesus and I'm going to live for you, for your good, and for your joy. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So notice that even though Paul knows that being with Christ is far better incomparably better he knows that as long as there is breath in his body he will live for the glory of Jesus and the good of others that's Paul's point he says that if he lives it's fruitful labor for Jesus and if he dies it's gain 
Now here he's talking about his continual missionary efforts. As long as I'm breathing, Jesus will be preached. And he will continue on their account. Now hear me. This shows you how much Paul was like Jesus here. Paul is willing to give up that which is far better to depart and be with Christ for the joy and growth of his brothers and sisters. This is what gospel-centered, Christ-centered ministry looks like. This is what it looks like. Our job, our ministry is to be a ministry of Christ-exalting and Christ-honoring joy for others. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said that he worked with them for their joy in Jesus. Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Peter says that in Christ's presence is joy unspeakable, full of glory. That we live and serve for the glory of Jesus and the joy of others. That's what all Christian ministry is about. Do you know that every time Paul went into a city and preached Jesus and they sought to persecute him and drive him out, his motive was that, don't you know, I'm really here to serve you for your eternal joy in Jesus. I don't want you to be eternal. I don't want you to experience eternal suffering. I want you to experience eternal joy. The great missionary motive isn't that we should be sad that people are going to hell. That is sad. We should be saying, I want you to have joy eternal in Jesus. Don't you know that you're living for things that won't ultimately satisfy your soul? You have to live for Jesus. Now as I close, I want to close with a story um, about the Oxford martyrs. Listen to this. Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. They were both English Protestants who preached the gospel across England during the time of the Protestant Reformation and during the very serious persecution brought on by the Catholic Counter-Reformation. Both ended up being arrested and sentenced to death during the reign of Mary I. They were known as the Oxford Martyrs because they had both been trained at Oxford. They were burned at the stake on October 16, 1555. And as both were being lashed to the pyre, Ridley is quoted as saying to Latimer, Imagine the scene, surrounded by others. They were given a chance to recant, and they would be spared. And they said, no, we cannot, we cannot discredit the gospel which everyone in England needs. Not, the, not this other gospel, the true gospel. And they would not, they would not recant, and so they, they were going to be burned. And it says, so as they were being lashed to the pyre, Ridley, Ridley is quoted as saying to Latimer, Be of good heart, brother. For God will either assuage the fury of the flame or else strengthen us to abide it. And as the bundle of sticks caught fire beneath them, Latimer turned to Ridley and said, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. They knew that their deaths were being given for the glory of Jesus and the furtherance of the gospel and the greater joy of their countrymen. That was the motive behind that. I'll remind you here as I close that this is our great this is what fuels our missionary efforts is that we want to see people come to Jesus and experience eternal joy in his presence. This is what led Jim Elliot to give his life 
for the Alka Indians where he was savagely murdered and speared to death. And he wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Think about that. This is Paul. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep. What can't you keep? This life. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus. May all of us live this way for the glory of Jesus. May he be the all-encompassing center of our lives. May he be our all-satisfying hope in life and death. And may he drive us to see Jesus gloriously, gloriously glorified in the joy of others. Would you pray with me? Father, bless your word. I pray that it has been challenging and convicting. I know it has been for me. Father, so often I live for lesser things. But Father, may I find my greatest purpose and meaning and significance in Christ. And Father, may we live for his glory here and to the ends of the earth. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.